focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, first off, joining us in the studio, we have Che Ji Hee. Ji Hee, hello to you. Good morning. And oh, excuse we, me. Good what? evening. Good morning. What? You're coming from, back no, from a I'm vacation. Sorry. I feel like I haven't seen you in a while. Exactly. All right. Well, good evening to you, Ji Hee. And uh, we have a new member of our Korea Now family. Uh, Chung Yein joins us in the studio for the very first time. Yein, welcome to Korea Now. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you on our program. Of course, we have been expanding our uh, wonderful pool of talents uh, for the Focus of Headline segment. Uh, nevertheless, uh, we are going to kick things off here with the big news that we've been watching uh, very closely. We've been hinting at this. We've been talking to economic professors in regards to this. We're talking about the U.S. Central Bank uh, and the FOMC meeting that was held for two days. We have the results of this. Highly anticipated, uh, but nevertheless, some good news is that the FOMC policymakers uh, decided to vote to keep the current rates, freezing the rates at 5.0% uh, to the 5.25% range here. And this is the first time that the U.S. Fed decided to freeze the benchmark rates after 10 rounds of hikes. So, Chi, you're going to start us off here. Right. So, like you said, and as we know, the U.S. Fed had raised interest rates for 10 meetings in a row within a little over a year, but this time opted to hold their benchmark rates steady between the current 5 and 5.25%. However, they did reaffirm their commitment to battling the ongoing inflation that's still hard to keep under control and also signaled possible additional rate hikes if necessary within this year mm. that is uh, and a, in a released statement the committee stated that recent indicators suggest that economic activity has expanded steadily and job gains have been robust in recent months also unemployment rates have also decreased to 4.1 percent compared to the previous 4.5 percent uh, and if we like to take a look at the consumer prices, in May, it was up 4% from a year ago, uh, which is the smallest annual increase since March 2021. And this is mainly attributable to the falling gasoline prices. However, excluding volatile energy and food prices, inflation still stands at 5.3%, which is twice the Fed's 2% target still. Uh, in fact, Fed policymakers on average think rates will need to be hiked about a half percentage point higher by the end of this year to bring inflation under control and meet their 2% target. Uh, so there may be a possible baby step increase at the FOMC in July. The committee noted that holding interest rates steady will give policymakers time to assess additional information and also to look at the implications for their monetary policy. And although things are moving in the right direction and are quite encouraging, uh, what we call the core consumer price index still displays a stronger than estimated staying power. Most people's household expenses go further than their paychecks due to inflation and credit card debt is increasing as well. However, on the flip side, uh, people who have savings in the bank can finally earn interest rates that outpace inflation. Meanwhile, the Fed holding benchmark rates following the same decision by the Bank of Korea's Financial Service Committee. Uh, the interest rate gap between Korea and the U.S. now stands at 1.75 percentage points above the U.S. benchmark rate, which uh, with Korea's interest rates now standing at 
3.5%. And Yane will talk about this. More. Yeah, again, and uh, we've been talking about this on the program for quite a bit. The reason why we're watching so carefully as to whether or not the U.S. Fed was going to decide to either freeze the rates or there was some consensus that maybe, just maybe, they'll take a quarter hike on this one. The reason why a hike would be concerning is already the 1.75 gap is the highest that we've seen so far amongst the two central banks. And we've seen uh, towards the end of last year what a huge gap in the uh, interest rates between the central bank does. The dollar goes stronger. Uh, the Korean one has been uh, was dipping but on the flip side we have been seeing uh, the Korean won gaining against the US dollar which is good news for South Korea but here's the thing despite the fact that they've decided to uh, freeze the rates this time around they have been the US Fed I should say have been hinting at two more rate hikes within this year now the two rate hikes are going to be probably likely uh, quarter point uh, I guess hikes so in that case if you put two one, one and one together it's going to be a 0.5 percent in that case we'll have an ever so uh, wide gap in the interest rates between the two uh, central banks here so Yen, do tell us what the Fed's decision mean to the Korean economy Yes, so just as you've mentioned, when we look at the current interest rate of Korea and the United States, they are 3.5% and 5 to 5.25% respectively. So uh, this means that the gate uh, rate gap uh, between the two countries is 1.75 percentage points, which is, uh, as, as Jay mentioned, is already the largest in history. So if the U.S. does uh, decide to raise its key interest rate by another 0.5 percentage point this year, and the Bank of Korea holds its current position, then the interest rate difference will widen to 2.25 percentage points. So actually, this could be a threat to the Korean won. So unlike the U.S. dollar, the Korean won is not a reserve currency, which means that it is not the primary currency for the international payments. So that being said, uh, having a significantly lower interest rate than the U.S. would increase the risk where the foreign uh, investment funds leave Korea in search of higher yields. So uh, at the end of the day, this would uh, possibly cause the Korean won depreciate against the United States dollars. So Bank of Korea Governor Lee Chang-yong has repeatedly emphasized that the BOK does not mechanically respond to the interest rate difference between Korea and the United States but it seems it is virtually impossible to ignore the growing pressure of a rising exchange rate, not to mention the potential foreign capital outflows. So all in all, the BOK would be forced to seriously consider further rate hikes in Korea as well. So in fact, earlier in May, uh, Governor, Governor Lee Chang-yong has left uh, the door open for another hike in Korea within the current uh, interest rate cycle. However, given the current economic and financial turmoil, this might be a tough decision to make indeed. So when we look at some key economic indices, the GDP growth rate um, in the first quarter barely avoided recording negative growth, and the trade balance has been in the red for 15 months. Furthermore, with the interest rate already at a high level, and the real estate, of course, real, uh, real estate slump continuing, further rate hikes could trigger a financial crisis as potential defaults in real estate market could spread to the wider economy. So experts are 
are saying that because the interest rate gap with the United States is widening, while the economy itself is declining, the monetary policy circumstance for the Bank of Korea this year will be tougher than ever. Yeah, so basically the Bank of Korea and the government are left with in a very, very sticky situation where if the U.S. Central Bank continues to raise their rates, they have to increase their rates as well to lessen the gap because what we saw last time, I mean, we're already seeing a, a trade deficit right now. We have the import numbers that are much long, uh, larger than the export numbers right now, and not to mention the export figures, not just monetarily, just the figure in itself, uh, it's been decreasing. And so hence, uh, you have the capital outflow, you have the trade deficit, but you also have to take into consideration right now, the household debt in South Korea is at historic highs right now. And so currently, with with uh, the Bank of Korea sort of freezing their rates, I believe they fr uh, froze it for two consecutive uh, terms so far now, they're slowly seeing an easing in the mortgage rates. We're, we're finally seeing an easing of this, which is why I think, uh, what is it? Uh, I believe the, the housing prices have been kind of slightly going up, rebounding a mm -hmm. little bit, not to say that it's kind of jumped up just yet, mm -hmm. but if they do decide to raise the rates once again, well, at least you're going to kind of uh, resolve the whole trade deficit uh, figures in some ways, but at the same time, you're going to see even more people panicking with all those mortgages that they uh, got and when everyone went to that FOMO stage when everyone had to buy a, a house uh, in including myself uh, so it is it's a very sticky situation here but uh, we'll see how uh, the Bank of Korea responds to all this in the meantime uh, the South Korean government's fiscal deficit uh, this reached over 45 trillion won that comes out to about 35.2 billion US dollars uh, in the first four months of the year as tax revenues uh, continue to decline. And this is according to recent data that was compiled. Uh, Ji, you have the details of this. Right. So according to the finance ministry, in the first four months of this year, the managed fiscal balance for the country recorded a deficit of 45.5 trillion won, which is about 35.6 billion U.S. dollars. Now, the figure is larger than the previous year when it recorded 37.9 trillion won. Uh, the managed fiscal balance is a strictly calculated essential measurement uh, that basically measures fiscal health of a country. And this deep uh, decrease is attributable to the reduced tax revenue of the country, which came to 134 trillion won. That's about 105 billion U.S. dollars uh, during the same January-April period. And a slump in the real estate market has led to a decrease in capital gains and a decline in tax money by 33.9 trillion won, which is about 26.5 billion U.S. dollars on year. Now, the total revenue dropped to 211.8 trillion won in the cited period, which is down 34.1 trillion won on year. Year. And as the government reduced its pandemic-related spending, the total expenditures came to 240.8 trillion won, which is down 26.5 trillion won from a year earlier. Uh, and by the end of April, the central government's debt stood at 172.7 trillion won. That's about 135 billion U.S. dollars. Uh, that's up 19.1 trillion from the previous month. So, so far this year, government bond issuance also has reached 82 trillion won. Uh, that's 48.9% of the total annual issuance limit. 
and foreign capital inflows reached a record high of 8.6 trillion won in May. So as a result, the share of foreigners holding government bonds rose to a little over 20%, returning to the 20% range for the first time in three months. Now, the finance ministry analyzed that government bond rates have shown less volatility compared to the beginning of the year, uh, but still uncertainties regarding the monetary policies of major countries and uh, the, uh, our, our country still remain. Yeah, uh, just overall, I mean, the debt in itself, uh, this is for this year, so 135 billion U.S. dollars. And so I'm just kind of looking at uh, some statistics uh, that came in. Just overall debt that's been compiled uh, up until this day, uh, South Korea's debt stands at uh, 740 billion, roughly around 740 billion uh, U.S. dollars, which sounds like a lot. But uh, just to make us all feel better, I'm just going to read out U.S.'s debt. Uh, it's at 30.1 trillion dollars here. But uh, <laughs> it's it just make us feel a little bit better here. Uh, while the overall economy is struggling, the uh, government is making efforts to support the younger generation financially uh, by launching the Youth Leap Account Program. Uh, I was told earlier by a writer that I am not eligible for this. Uh, Yang, give us the details of this. Yes, sure. So uh, indeed, an exciting news for young people who've been hunting for high interest rates. So the Financial Services Commission, or the FSC, announced that 11 banks, including Dongheop, Shinhan, Uri, Hana, and Kungmin, will begin operating the so-called Youth Leap Savings Account at 9 a.m. today. So since the opening of the application, the accumulative number of applicants was 57,000 as of 3 p.m. today. So those aged between 19 and 34 with uh, less than 60 million won or approximately $47,000 annual uh, $7,000 of annual salary and the household median income of 180% or lower can sign up for this program. So if you have fulfilled military service, up to six years of military service can be excluded from the age calculation here. So basically you can free, uh, freely save up to 700,000 won per month or around uh, $545, uh, which will grow into a maximum of 50 million won saving or about th uh, $38,000 uh, in the USD perspective. Perspective, uh, after the account maturity of five years. So for all of the 11 uh, banks participating, the base rate of the account uh, ranged from 3.8 to 4.5%, and the preferential rate uh, based on your income was the same at 0.5%. So the total preferential rates uh, ranged from 1.0 to 1.7%, uh, the maximum interest rate that one could enjoy by combining uh, you know, all the base rates and the maximum of available preferential rates was 6.0% for all 11 bank banks identically. So how does this translate to actual cash benefit? So the FSC calculated that if a young adult with an annual gross salary of 24 million won pays 700,000 won per month, they will receive a total of 49 million to 50 million won at maturity. So this will include the amount saved of uh, 42 million won uh, by the person uh, themselves. Uh, the bank's interest rate between uh, 5.3 million and 6.4 million, depending on the preferential rate, of course, and the government's uh, contribution and related interest of 1.6 million won. So the FSC explained that this would be equivalent of signing up for a regular savings account with 7.68 to 8.86% interest rate. Yeah, so there has 
always been sort of this like youth uh, savings programs. But I mean, the, the difference with this is that usually I believe uh, it's like the limit here is 60 million, which is relatively high, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not a lot of people who make 60 million uh, a year. Uh, and the only thing with this is that if, if you're making 24 million one annually, right, that comes out to uh, 2 million a month uh, before taxes, it is very hard to save 700,000 one. But still, <laughs> right. still, the, right. these are really, really good uh, uh, figures here. And this is, of course, the government's way of trying to kickstart these mm-hmm. youth. And, you know, obviously, when it's time to, you know, get married or, you know, buy a house and stuff like that, you need as much a lump sum amount of money as possible. So this, uh, certainly very helpful uh, for the youth out there. I think it's good that university students yeah. can uh, register for this as well, as long as they have like part-time jobs at mm. least. Mm, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Again, uh, with this, I mean, it's just, it's high numbers. 6% is a very, very high number. Mm. I don't even know how, how much, actually, I have no money to get any percentage <laughs> off my uh, interest. But nevertheless, I hope all the youth out there Uh, do take advantage uh, of this. Uh, Moving on here, five companies were suspended from trading their shares uh, following suspicions of alleged stock manipulation. Uh, We've previously talked about this. Uh, This was another round of more than 20% losses seeing the stock values of multiple companies after a similar incident had occurred in April. Uh, G, tell us more about this. Right. So the Korea Exchange announced it will suspend stock trading of four companies, five in total, but four companies listed on the primary Kospi market. Mm-hmm. Uh, they include Dongil Industries, Banho Rope and Wire, Pangnim, Tehan Textile, and Dongil Metal on the tech-heavy co-stock market starting Thursday because they've seen steep falls of their stock prices earlier Wednesday. In fact, it was even higher than 20% for these companies. Companies. And financial authorities said they're investigating the possibility of unfair trading practices related to these stocks, even the possibility of stock manipulation. And as of Tuesday, the stock prices of the mentioned companies skyrocketed 300 percent compared with the prices recorded recorded on the 1st of January back in 2021. And the items were all recommended in an online community suspected of a similar case before. So earlier this year, the Supreme Court confirmed the suspended two-year prison term for the operator of this community on charges of gaining profit through unfair trading. Now, the latest case is comparable to an alleged stock manipulation scheme from earlier this year involving the head of an unregistered investment consulting firm and nine other companies involved. Now, the stocks of the nine listed companies had steadily risen for years before plummeting in in late April following mass sell-offs. So uh, apparently about 1,000 investors reportedly suffered huge losses estimated to be between 800 billion one, which is about 627 million U.S. dollars and even up to one trillion one. Now, since this incident, uh, financial regulators have declared to fight against unfair trading and manipulation of the stock market uh, in the financial markets. Yeah, I just I was looking at uh, one of the, the stock companies here, Manho uh, Steel, I believe, um, and I'm trying to figure out uh, who's selling off when they it dipped almost 30 mm. uh, percent was it the 14th that's yesterday on Wednesday mm-hmm. and I'm trying to figure out uh, who sold everything it doesn't even show who sold everything which sounds a little bit uh, weird indeed yeah again we talked about before uh, the stock manipulation uh, incident that took place with all the energy right. uh, companies uh, previously which 
apparently involved one of the uh, the K-pop singers as well. Uh, let's move on here. Uh, get some latest news on marine affairs. The government will hold daily briefings uh, for the media starting today regarding the release of the contaminated water from Japan's Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. And uh, it was the very first session that was held this morning. Uh, the government said that it's going to be closely monitoring the progress and explain any peculiarities here. Yen, you're going to fill us in on this. Right. So the Office for Government Policy Coordination announced on Wednesday that the government will hold uh, daily briefings uh, at the Seoul government complex starting today. So uh, the first vice minister of government policy coordination, Park Gu-yeon, will lead the session. Uh, so the government decided to do this to explain, basically, uh, its response plan directly to the media and answer questions as many safety controversies continue to arise. So Japan recently conducted test driving of its facility for discharging the treated radioactive wastewater and a heated debate uh, between the ruling and opposition parties in the National Assembly has been continuing for days. So in the very first briefing session, which happened this morning, uh, actually, the vice minister said the testing of Japan's offshore discharge facility, which has been underway for two weeks so far, is a process of checking the normal operation of the water pump and whether the discharge is blocked uh, in the uh, blocked in the event of an abnormal situations. So apparently there will be an approval procedure for normal operation and safety by the Japanese government after the test completes. Now regarding recent reports that radioactive substances uh, worth up to 20,000 times the standard um, are still being detected in contaminated water even after the Advanced Liquid Processing System, or ALPS, treatment. The government acknowledged uh, that the report is true for the detected uh, strontium level is more than 20,000 times higher than the Korean standard figure. They added, however, uh, that the contaminated water with measured radiation levels exceeding these thresholds will not be released as is. So the Japanese side has said that it will purify and dilute the contaminated water with ALPS until it meets the thresholds before it is released. A professor of nuclear engineering, Ho Yun-young, at Gyeonghee University was also present um, as a private sector expert uh, during the daily briefings. And he explained that the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant has a device that can prevent radioactive materials from leaving the plant, even if any problem occurs with the discharge facility. Again, we are hoping for transparency in the information that's given by both the Japanese government and the South Korean government uh, as well. I don't know if you guys already heard, but uh, because of the fears uh, raising from the release of the the, the contaminated mm. water salt. Uh, salt yeah right. yeah sea salt is already mm. being sold out right now and there and the, the supermarket right next to my house they're selling it in uh was it 20 kilogram bags mm-hmm. uh, right. <laughs> wow. and people are, it's flying off the shelf everyone's buying mm-hmm. it off and so it, there's obviously uh, legit fears right now uh, in the meantime a South Korean official has been elected as the judge as one of the judges for the UNC tribunal uh, the International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea for the third straight term. We briefly talked about it. We got the confirmation. Gee, you have more more on this. Well, on Wednesday, the Director General for International Legal Affairs at the Foreign Ministry, Lee Jae-hung, was elected to serve as a member of the ITLOS, the International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea, after gaining 144 support votes among 164 voting member states. Now, his term will start this year and end at t- in 20. 
2032. South Korea has managed to secure a spot for the third consecutive term starting 1996 in one of the uh, members of the ITLOS. And among the six other members elected to serve as judges for the tribunal, a Japanese official was also included. Now, for your information, ITLOS is the UN's sea tribunal that deals with international maritime issues under the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea, and this includes sea border disputes. And the foreign ministry said in a press release that Mr. Lee's election will not only raise Korea's standing in the field of uh, maritime law, but also expand the country's role in the international stage. It added that the government has been making multifaceted uh, efforts to advance the Korean representation at this body as well. Now, the election also reaffirms the international community's sympathy and trust in the values that our country has expressed and pursued as a global pivotal state and its efforts to implement them. Uh, Lee is an international law expert who served as head of the International Law and Regulation Division at the Foreign Ministry of South Korea. He was also the permanent representative to the United Nations, uh, head of the legal team, and also served as the ambassador to Afghanistan. And he had also led the Korean delegation in various negotiations on maritime law. Now, Lee said he feels a sense of joy and at the same time, heavy responsibility. And he also promised to endeavor to live up to the international community's trust and expectations of Korea. And I think it's reassuring uh, for the public that we have a Korean official as a member of the tribunal, especially amid this this ongoing controversy over uh, Japan's release of contaminated waters. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of issues at hand when it comes to the ocean right now. Mm -hmm. And just like uh, Chihi mentioned, yes, uh, the the major issue is the release of the uh, the contaminated water from the the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. But also, if you remember uh, the issue with the ILO, right? Uh, mm-hmm. sorry, no, the IMO has checked mm-hmm. that uh, when uh, North Korea fires their space right. launch vehicle and they're not going to alert uh, any of the, uh, the organizations, including the, the International Maritime Organization. And what if uh, one of the debris uh, falls in and uh, hits one of the ships or any of these uh, container ships that are walk, uh, moving around? Uh, it is very, very important right now. And so uh, we'll see. And uh, congratulations to once again Mr. Lee and his election. Uh, we're, speaking of North Korea, let's mm-hmm. let's talk about North Korea. The South Korean government has filed a lawsuit against North Korea. Can you believe this? A lawsuit against North Korea over the regime's demolition of the inter-Korean liaison office back in 2020 for the loss of state assets. If you guys remember, uh, it was it was huge, and I remember us following this uh, live. Uh, it was baffling, and that was sort of. Really, the turning point where really things uh, started, uh, you know, turning very, very sour between the two uh, Koreas. Yin, you're going to fill us in on this. Right. So the Ministry of Unification announced on Thursday that it filed a lawsuit against North Korea at the Seoul Central District Court. So it says the action was to suspend the statute of limitations, which is three years and will be completed by the 16th of this month on the right to claim damages for the bombing of the liaison office. So the ministry uh, assessed the damage to state-owned property caused by the bombing of the liaison office at 44.7 billion won, or over $34 million, uh, so which includes around 10 billion won for the liaison office building itself and 34 billion won for the adjacent comprehensive support center. So the ministry added that, uh, quote, North Korea's violent destruction of the inter-Korean joint liaison office is a clearly illegal act and a violation of inter-Korean agreement. Um, 
including the Panmunjom Declaration, and fundamentally undermines the foundation of mutual respect and trust between the two Koreas. So actually, this is the very first time the Korean government has filed a lawsuit against North Korean authorities, with the defendant being the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. So the ministry explained that putting the Democratic People's Republic of Korea as a defendant does not mean that the government recognizes the DPRK as a state, but it is on the premise that the DPRK is an unincorporated entity. So obviously, North Korea is, of course, not expected to respond to this lawsuit. No. So the case is expected to proceed as in cases where the defendant's address is unknown or the defendant is located outside the jurisdiction and cannot be reached. So if North Korea does not eventually respond to the lawsuit, the government will likely prevail on the damage claim, but there is, of course, no way to compel North Korea to actually pay for the damage. The government pointed out that the very purpose of filing this lawsuit is to prevent uh, prevent the claim from lapsing and to re-establish inter-Korean relations. At the same time, some may argue that this might worsen the relation. I mean, a lot of people might. Be, How do you make it even worse than it already is right now? <laughs> but again, to kind of, it, it's it's more symbolic than anything at this point. And uh, one of the things that we have been seeing during the current UN administration is that we have also seen more unilateral sanctions being uh, slapped onto North Korea uh, during this. And again, just like you said, there's absolutely North Korea is not going to go and oh, we've been summoned. Uh, we've been summoned. Uh, we'll see you in court. Uh, and we're going to have a lawyer on stand. It's not going to happen, right? Uh, but still, though, when that, oh, man, when that happened, I mean, it was pretty much the end of all things. And uh, we haven't seen any sort of dialogue between the two sides for uh, quite a bit ever since then. And, uh, you know, I checked uh, something came up the other day, and it was only about uh, five years ago, I believe. What was it five years ago that the uh, the, the Singapore summit had happened? Mm. And uh, at the time when Trump... Uh, Trump and uh, Kim Jong-un had met, we all thought that was the first step towards maybe peace on the Korean Peninsula. Right. But obviously, when things went sour after the Hanoi summit mm -hmm. and uh, the, the blowing up the, the uh, inter-Korean liaison office, right? right? Let's move on here. Uh, the BBC recently conducted a secret interview with three ordinary residents of North Korea. They were able to get a glimpse of the situation in the reclusive state in more detail. Uh, what they heard were shocking. Ji mm -hmm. uh, tell us about this. Right. So the interviewees told BBC that their neighbors were currently starving to death because food supplies were so scarce in the isolated state. Now, according to experts, the situation has been the worst since the 1990s. Uh, we know that in the late 1990s, North Korea experienced a devastating famine that killed as many as 3 million people. But the recent seriousness of the starvation prompted fears that the state may be facing yet another famine catastrophe. Now, with the help of the organization Daily NK, BBC was able to interview three people living in North Korea. Uh, and it's really extremely rare to hear directly from the people living in the reclusive state about the situation in the region. And so BBC was able to share the devastating environment North Koreans were currently living in. Now, the interviewees expressed their fear of the state, saying that ever since the border closure, they were afraid of starving to death or even being executed for not following the state rules, mm -hmm. which we are we know of were at times far from being logical, and they also violated fundamental human rights. Uh, the other day I heard, I read an article saying that if people said anything like, like oppa or some... Yeah, things that are too South Korean. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
it's it's just it doesn't make sense at all. And North Korea has never been able to produce enough food for its 26 million people. Uh, when it shut its border in January 2020, that is following the outbreak of COVID-19, authorities they stopped importing grain from China as well as fertilizers and machinery that are necessary for producing food products. And according to one of the interviewees, uh, he's a construction worker. He said food supplies were so scarce that five neighbors living in the same neighborhood as him uh, died from starvation. And what people feared was not COVID-19, but starvation. And the state fortified the border with fences and ordered guards to shoot anyone who tried to cross that border. And so because of the strict restriction, uh, the border's they were so protected strictly protected strictly that nearly it was impossible for people to cross them and even uh, smuggle some food for them to eat and sell and it was shocking also to hear how some people had killed themselves at home or in the mountains because they couldn't make ends meet and while people viewed Kim Jong-un, the state leader, positively before the pandemic, uh, the interviewees said that now almost everyone is full of discontent. And this interview really suggests that many people's loyalty has waned over the past three years of shutting and uh, shutting down and suffering. And it, re- it really shocked me to read this article. And I'm kind of, um, uh, I don't know, like, I don't want to be reading it further, really. Yeah, um, they were even saying that when, because, you know, Kim Joo-ae, right, mm-hmm. uh, the daughter of uh, Kim Jong-un had been recently coming out in the Korean media a lot, and as you've seen the pictures of uh, Kim Joo-ae, she's very plump. Yes. And so a lot of people were saying, not like, oh my goodness, this could potentially be our next leader, but they are saying, oh, look how plump she is, and while all of us are so skinny, we're exactly. basically skeletal, um, but as Chung Char, our uh, North Korean refugee guest who joins us every Wednesday, has said before, because he was in the uh, in North Korea in the 90s during the Great Famine, mm. and he said no one when he defected to uh, defected to China and then to Thailand, Laos, and Thailand came to South Korea. No one questioned whether where Chung Char was or where his mother was, because so many people would just randomly go out the house and then die on the streets of starvation, mm-hmm. and so no one question like where's juncture did he they all thought he just basically starved to death and that that was the norm and we're seeing this right now currently in 2023 and i think i told you this before that no one thought kim jong-un was fat before is that what people thought in north korea yes I, I mean, that's not fat. I don't know. I don't know. That must be very. I must be very skinny then. Uh, let's move on here. Meanwhile, um, between the U.S. and China, uh, this is big news here. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is traveling to Beijing this weekend. Uh, he is the most senior official. Uh, from the United States to visit in five years. Uh, this also follows uh, over four months ago when he was scheduled to meet uh, with uh, officials in China before that was scrapped right. because of the Chinese spy balloon incident. Uh, Yane, let's get the details of this. Yes, yeah, so to before diving right in, uh, to briefly recap what's been going on between the United States and China, uh, the tension between the two countries started to plummet after then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan in August last year, uh, but the two sides managed to move into a, a slightly better mood following the November summit between the U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping. 
However, tensions uh, flared up again earlier this year after the Chinese spy balloon incident, uh, as SSJ mentioned, uh, with Blinken uh, canceling his planned visit to China to discuss follow-up to the summit, uh, actually right on the day of his departure. Now, uh, Blinken has rescheduled his trip to Beijing, departing Washington, D.C. on the 16th and will visit Beijing and London through the 21st, according to the State Department's announcement on Wednesday local time. So during his two-day trip, he will meet with senior Chinese officials in Beijing on June 18th and 19th to discuss the importance of keeping communication channels open between the two countries to responsibly manage the U.S.-China relationship. Now, his visit will be the first by the U.S. Uh, by a U.S. Secretary of State since Blinken took the office, and the first in about four years and eight months since then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo visited in October 2018 during the previous Trump administration. But apparently, the U.S. does not actually expect much progress on most of uh, issues where the U.S. and China are in conflict. So a spokesperson explained that having a clearer picture of each other's intention is an important step forward, especially in the current U.S.-China relationship. Relationship. So among many other topics that are expected to be addressed uh, during this meeting, issues on Korean Peninsula, including North Korea's nuclear and missile programs, are, like, are, are likely to be discussed as well, uh, especially as Pyongyang recently threatened to launch a military, recon- uh, military spy satellite after failing a launch. That's right. And of course, because this meeting is taking place over the weekend, we'll cl- take a close tab on this, a look at this, and uh, uh, give you guys a follow-up on this on our Mondays this of the program. Guys, thank you very much for coming in. Yane, welcome to Korea Now, and we'll see you guys again. See you again. Bye. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.